spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I have a dream that at moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I have dreamed waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass for more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins, where it all came from, since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Label Hi, it's Ambien from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on beginning of the 2016 and as of speaking has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish I am always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable me to keep the running costs of this podcast going. And enjoy. Take care. Bye-bye. Spoken Label. Hi, guys. Andy N. Spoken Label. Back in the house on a Sunday, well, my case, evening. But the writer I've got with me today is her afternoon. So, as you go, that's a good hint. We're going slightly further afield. Now, this is kudos to my good friend, Bella Kenyon. Bella put me in contact with this lovely lady about chatting with me today, Elizabeth Horan, who we're here today to talk about her most recent book, The Mask. But we're certainly going to be talking about some of her other books as well, because I knew about one of them, and she just told me about another book which just come out, which I didn't know about, but I want to learn about that as well. So now, Elizabeth, obviously, for people who don't know you then, obviously, do you want to introduce yourself to everybody? Tell them, obviously, where you're originally from? And what started off your creativity? And obviously, I know you've done several books before the ones we're doing today. So tell us a little about everything. Okay, I will. Thank you, Andy. It's First of all, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you, Isabel, for hooking us up, for getting to chat with you. I'm thrilled. Um, yeah, so I'm a I'm a 46-year-old mom. I live in Vermont. Are you really? You don't look it. <laughs> I kind of came to motherhood a little bit later in life. Um, I have two young boys who are 9 and 10. Oh, um, they're, age. <laughs> they're here with play dates now. So there's six kids out there running around. That's why I was a little late to come in because I was like, I'm just getting them settled. I'll be right there. So that's really, I mean, that's my life is... is being a mom I'm a stay-at-home mom um and I let's see I came into poetry also late when I was 40 um so I had two little babies and I um I used to be like a waitress and a like a law assistant I really kind of wasted like 25 years of my life with like jobs that I hated and kind of self-harm and not great you know like from trauma that I couldn't handle and didn't handle it well, like just fell into a bad uh, 20 years or so. And then I decided once I had children that I wanted to do something better. And um, so I went back to school and got two online master's degrees and started writing poetry. And I had my first poem published when I was 40. So that's six years now I've been doing this. Um, And I, once I got going, I couldn't stop. Like I had so much to say, it just, 
poems just would fall out of me in the middle of the night onto my phone, whatever. And um, people, you know, were interested in them. I think because they're very raw and they're very real and honest. I mean, the majority of my work is nonfiction poetry, I would say. Um, and I like, you know, the, I like for my poetry to serve the job of like being a voice for those who might not have one. So, you know, I write about things that I've experienced, but that also people, you know, have stigmas about like mental illness and um, addiction and trauma and eating disorders and, you know, all of it. So that's kind of, I don't write a lot of like happy poetry, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's okay. That's just what I do. Um, I mean, there is a belief in poetry because I, a lot of mine is, uh, this is what you obviously, I'm a very, very serious poet. I'm probably, if I'm honest, and you're probably the same. There's a lot of things I'm not serious about, but poetry is one, and reading your work is obviously the same. Yeah, right. I take it, I do take it very seriously, and I want it to reach people who who could benefit from knowing they're not alone in something. So yeah. you know, with a lot of my writing, I, I had really severe postpartum depression after my second baby. I felt a lot like Plath. You know, I survived. Plath didn't. And that whole book that we I showed you just a minute ago is about that. How do you survive? Um, how do you be a brilliant poem and have these dark thoughts and young children in the next room and you're losing your mind? Um, yeah, so it's, it's really things I think I like parenthood is a strange thing for people. I don't want to yeah. go too much detail, but I know my sister, unfortunately, had a miscarriage she did some years ago. Yeah. I know she got pregnant with my nephew, not thankfully, not long after. And I know what that did to her as well. And it was yeah. like, it's somewhat where I mean, it's poetry is a good vein to get it all yeah. out of your chest. And then you just yeah. put, put mother face on there, can't you? Right. And, and miscarriage is one of those topics. You know, it's not like people, people don't really talk about it. It's kind of like a hush hush private thing, but almost all women I know have, have either experienced one or someone really close to them has. And so it's like all pervasive around us, that massive loss and how do we cope with it? And I think, writing poem, I have written poems about it and I think that's good. Like we should talk about it, you know, and you're not alone. Like, yeah, I'm glad, no, I agree. She, I'm glad she could have a baby to term. That's great. I agree. Now I'll say, um, obviously the book of yours I've not read yet, as you just told me about, um, this is worth us bringing up in that topic of conversation straight away with the book of you done about just the right of the stove. Yeah. Which, which you bought out, was it last year as well, didn't you? So, which yeah. anyone's looking in now, they can see you waving this in the camera. <laughs> I'm like, I want to show you my pretty book. So yeah, this came out um, last, uh, about a year ago. Um, and this was with um, Twisted Press with um, Renee Ferrer. She's out of Philadelphia and we've worked together before and she's just a lovely publisher and human. Um, so this really, you know, Plath to me is an icon and like a sister in pain. Of course, we need to mention obviously this book is about Sylvia Plath, first of all. Right. Yeah, yep. your mirror reaction is a wonderful and sad, yeah. very tragic Sylvia Plath, unfortunately. Right. So. Mm -hmm. so it's very much about, you know, it's, it's two mothers in her kitchen, me and her. It's me talking with her about, we're like sharing poems. I kind of ask if she would like help me. You know, she's very, she kind of is like protective of me, but also kind of dismissive. Um, so it's like, she write, writes to me and then I write back to her. So it's the two voices. Um, and I, it was my, it began as my thesis for um, my poetry MFA. 
and ended mm. up being a big collection. So, it's it's I think sometimes it's typical that way poetry books go sometimes, where they take off in different directions, don't they? So, yeah, I, I now, had like a base for it, um, which was Bad Mommy, Stay Mommy, which was my first book with Isabel. Um, and then it became this this big collection. So yeah, I'm proud that, of it. And I oh, hope yeah. Sylvia would, would, you know, not be offended. We'll just say that. Which yeah, of course. Now, I've got to <laughs> ask you, obviously, about this, because I know... Um, did you have to, did you have, did this take you a lot of research to get the voice for the voiceer in this? Do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it 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 took me reading as many of her poems as I could. Um, it took me listening to her read poems on YouTube. Um, I read. That's a fantastic reader, really. I've got about I've got about an album of her, two album two albums of hers yeah. in this. Her nature. voice is so. Uh, it's, comes from beyond the grave and it's so striking and so I don't know what um uh, surreal to me to hear her read a poem of hers so I just I mean I would really just kind of try to you know like seance with her which sounds kind of wow cheesy, but wow. sit with her poems sit with my pain try to put myself in her shoes at different points in her life for particular poems and then, I mean, and, and I think this with all acrastic type work, and I call this acrastic just because it's like about someone's life. It, it's acrastic about her poetry, I guess. Um, to just then just let it go and just see what happens, to, to let her speak through me, to trust that it's gonna be okay, you know? Um, and it, I really would go very, very deep and I had to be alone, the house had to be quiet. It was a very much like a spiritual writing sessions that I would do these in. Now, how long did how long did it did, did this book take you to write? And was it? I'm guessing it would be the thesis. It went on for a few years, and didn't it? In total, yeah. It. Um, I would say it was about a year and a half, all told, for that, including the semester that I wrote the thesis in. That's pretty good. Um, cool. I still got going that really, one. I wrote it really fast, to be to be honest. Like after I had the base of it from the thesis. Um, and I finished that that MFA and I just wanted to write. I just wanted to, I just, you know, I, my kid was finally in, my kids were finally in preschool and I was like, I'm just gonna write. Um, I felt like I was making up for lost time, you know? So it was very frantic writing. Um, oh, it, no, no, brilliant. But it's, for me, that's the best kind because it means it's coming out right and it takes less editing. It's, I'm not like struggling to find the right words. It's just flowing. And and that's how I feel when I write for Sylvia, and it's also how I feel when I write for Frida. It just now, it's obviously we're here today. Obviously, that, that's a very clever link, that now, isn't it? <laughs> so like, we're here what? today because I I knew about the book we saw with Sylvia Buff just before we came on air. Now, see, look at this now, everyone. Now, fortunately, people on the audio version of it, so only we'll see. Obviously, Elizabeth pointed up a book called The Mass now, which is about Frida. I, I can never get Frida's surname right. Is it Frida? Frida Kahlo. Kahlo, that's it, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, Perksman dyslexic, unfortunately. Now, okay. now, obviously, The Mask is obviously your current, uh, well, the book I've read, actually, certainly, which has come out oh, back in the last year, I believe. This was, uh, I think it came out in November of last year. Yeah, obviously right. by, 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 by the wonderful Broken Spine over in Southport, yeah. yeah. Like, who, who I've met, obviously, I've told you before, I met Paul as one of the guys in that. And yes, there's a story around that, which I certainly can't repeat on there. So. Yeah, no, not here. No, no. No, but Paul's a great guy. So. Mom. But they're, yeah, they're wonderful guys. And they're dear friends, you know? So the whole experience, you know, I've known them for some time now. 
we published one of Paul's books at My Press Animal Heart. Um, so we got to work together really intimately and his work is brilliant and Alan is brilliant. And so we just, you know, I kept writing Alan like, hey, I've got some, a new thing I could show you. Like, I really wanna work with you if you're ever interested. And I would kind of just, you know, pop up now and then, hey, <laughs> it's me again. No, I've got, two, finally... I've got two of Paul's books. And I think one of them's with your press archer, I'm sure it is. But anyway, so I know Barbara and I did an exchange with Paul a couple of years ago on books, yeah. so <laughs> yes, I'm a great yes. guy. Now, I'm trying to, mm -hmm. obviously, so I before just we kind go... Of, I just kept knocking at their door until they let me in to do a book. <laughs> well, you got them by the throat eventually, you mean, basically. <laughs> now, obviously... Gently, um... though, very gently. Yeah, gentle frock, all right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, obviously, with the Mastin, obviously, I know this is your second collection of that fear, 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 isn't it? So, and obviously, people are interested in learning. Obviously, your first one came out, was it 2020, wasn't it? Yeah, so uh, here is, this is self-portrait. And yep. this was my first Kahlo, um work. And this was a, this was kind of like, work of my lifetime. I mean, the, the Plath book and this book really, you know, the two collections that are the most expansive, the most massive, the most amount of kind of blood, sweat and tears um, that I'm very, very proud of. Yeah, this came out and this came out 2019, the fall of 2019. That was kind of my big year where I had all these books come out. Wow. Um, so like I said, with Cephalo and um, it's, it's really a biography of Frida from the time of her horrible accident in Mexico City, which left her um, disabled and injured and in severe pain for the rest of her life and unable to have children through to her death. Um, so each, each poem represents one of her paintings from the start of that to the finish. Um, so it's true acrostic, you know, each one correlates to just one painting and there's about 50 poems. So it's, it's it. Wow. Wow. Now, obviously, I know with that book, and I'll say reading up on you before, I know you've been appreciative of her uh, uh, art since your college days, haven't you, since 97? Well, did I read that yeah. correctly? <laughs> I, so. Yeah. I graduated college in 2000. So, yeah, um, I first... I, I think I was taking like art appreciation or I was taking something and I saw her work. And I think the first one I saw was like the, the wounded deer, you know, and the skeleton, you see her, her, the column, La Columna. Yeah. You know, wounded, wounded, are, wounded, it was incredibly striking. They're incredible. They're, they're so raw and stark. They, they're unapologetic. They're everything I like about poetry, you know, that like, I can just say whatever I want and, you know, that's that, that's me. Like, I don't have to filter. Uh, you know how in your regular life you filter so much and, and it's like, my poetry is my place. I get to be completely straight up and raw and visceral. And so me writing about her work, it like took me to another level of that kind of raw visceral honesty of physical yeah. pain, of mental pain, you know? And so I just went with it <laughs> and what's the story i read before about you seem to all seem to click for you in 2018 when did you break yeah. your back as well fall of a yeah. horse so i had oh, 2018 was a tough one for me i um i first uh what did i do i fell off a young horse flat on my back in a frozen driveway you know oh um so I crunched the bottom of my spine, basically. I had compound fractures in the lower spine. So I was in bed for, and I had a mass, wicked concussion with it too from the whiplash. 
and um, like crawled home, got home. You know, there was nothing to do about the back injury, but rest it. So I was in bed, you know, a month maybe on and, you know, mostly. And um, I went back to Frida and I can't remember how or why, but I, I mean, I knew in, from my MFA, I was, I, I think I wrote a couple of plastic ones in that MFA. And I said, when I'm done with this, I'm going to revisit Frida, revisit Plath, do all these things I want to do. And so I just started writing about my injury and her injury. Um, later that year, I had a miscarriage. Um, I, it was, I was 43, so I was older, but I really wanted that baby. I mean, you know, it, it was like my rainbow baby. My second baby had been so hard, didn't sleep, didn't eat like that. I got so, I was so depressed. And I was like, I just wanted, I wanted that baby, you know, it felt like a miracle. And then I lost it. And it was like, well, who do I blame? How do I cope with this? How do I let this anger out? You know, like, I mean, I'm mad at God. It wasn't my fault. And I, again, went back with her and so many of her paintings and work is based on miscarriages and her, and the abortion, the forced abortions, um, that inability to have children walked with her every day of her life. You know, I was able to have two, you know, thank God. I, I'm thrilled. I love my boys. But I can I can get into that psyche because I came to motherhood so late. I couldn't get pregnant for like five years. So I I was sure I wouldn't have kids, but then I got lucky and did. So it's like I could just I can sympathize with her. I can sympathize with women who feel like they're supposed to. You know, we're supposed to have children. Isn't that like our purpose in life? You know, that pressure to have a baby, especially in like 1920s Mexico. I mean women had babies like that's what you did um she ended up not doing that and doing her art but she had so many animals like in her in her compound she had deer she had little dogs she had parrots monkeys and they were really her her children her babies she loved them so you know all of that kind of so to finish up 2018 the miscarriage exposed that i had um cervical cancer Six months later, I had a hysterectomy, Baron. You know, uh, so that's that. And um, this book, I just kept going and going. Yeah, I got the thing also. That's when obviously you kept going and going and going. And when yeah. did you realize that you'd have a second collection about her with the bushes of the mask? Yeah, so that's a really good question. I, um, I mean, I feel like I could still write a third. You know, there's so many pieces of hers. And each time I look at one of them, I have several that I've done like more than one poem about like really different contexts. Um, but I, it, it's so easy for me. Like when I have writer's block, I'm like, well, I could just do an acrostic one to, with Frida to get going again, because it's like, I can produce that. Um, this one is more, this one is not like a full biography. This one is more about her bisexuality, um, gender, about kind of females roles about um, her and Diego and uh, also their infidelity and her like affair with Trotsky and how she interacted with Trotsky. So it's, it's more kind of political, gender, sexual. It's not based on the accident, so to speak. Yeah, no so course. It's just a deeper dive into aspects of her life that I connect with, you know? Yeah, um, of course. And of that course. I'm fascinated by and about that those relationships with her animals too is also I touch on. Um, but it was just, it was like, when my book came out with Cephalo, you know, they weren't in a great place. The book didn't really go anywhere. Um, 
and it was like, I want to try again. You know, I really want the world to see my freedom poems, you know, and rather than, you know, have a meltdown about that book, not taking off the way I wanted it to, let's just do another one. (laughs) I'm always a believer. It doesn't work first time. Try and try again. Try again. And, you know, if people notice the mask, then they'll notice self-portrait and so on. So, you know, it's like, you got to just keep trying and I, I, Maybe I'll do a third one. You never know. I don't think I could ever exhaust my fascination with her. No, you've clearly, you've quite clearly got an obsession. Oh, I don't like the word obsession, but no. it's like um, there's a clear. It's like you look like a um, light bulb in your head. There's something connected to you, hasn't there? Yeah. So mm-hmm. That's why straight. But look at it now. Why did you call it the mask then? All right. Well, uh, so one of her one of her more striking paintings, in my opinion, that I didn't know about until writing this book is called The Mask. The painting is called The Mask. It's near the end of her life. People can Google it. Just Google Frida Kahlo, The Mask Painting. Um, she's She's got, you know, most of her, she has so many self-portraits, right? This one, though, she's literally wearing a mask with these two teeny cutout holes. It's very sad. It's blue. Her hair is uh, colored blue or purple. Like, it's not even really her face. And it occurred to me, you know, she's been painting her face in in all these, you know, hundreds of self-portraits her whole life. At her death, she chose to do this one where she actually covers her face because she feels like she's dying, because she feels ugly, because she feels this or that. But so it's like, to me, it was like, was she wearing a mask all that time being beautiful? And this is the real her exposed, like it, this one painting with a literal mask, just really, I, I couldn't quite wrap my head around it. I still can't quite, I mean, it's debatable what the point was or what, what she felt. But so the book has two poems, The Mask Volume One and Volume Two, and um, they kind of act as sandwich bread for the meat inside. And I just, where she was at when she died in, in so much physical pain, in so much mental pain, in debt, you know, um, I don't know. I, I think I think she suffered really so much sorrow and knowing she was going, was ready to go. But, you know, like a sadness, like a short Yeah, yeah. No, to what I've read about her, I, did, I didn't do it. I've not stood at the same level you have said, but I do remember being aware of her work when I was at university back in a few years ago. The very, very sad lady indeed, so... Is like the part of pain she went through. Yeah, I think she covered a lot more than probably four people had in their lifetime, really. Right. And I mean, between just the physical pain alone and painting on your back in bed in a body cast, like, how do you find the um, determination to even do that? For me, I was like, you know, I would just well, probably lay it has to be, It is will. Yeah. And I think if you look at like obviously what you said before, the pain you've had, I've had a number, I've had two, three big. I've, well, during my lifetime, I've been as an adult. I've discovered I've got two major health conditions, and then on top of it, I contracted diabetes. And it's it's not on top of that. But I think you learn sometimes, and if you want something so much, and in her case, she wasn't going to give up. And this applies to you as well, and probably me as well. As an artist, I mean, sometimes you have you have to have the pain to actually get to what you want. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, and uh, the pain can make great art, can't it? And it can yeah. make great poetry. Yeah, so no, definitely that one. So, 
best. But yeah, no, she never gave up and she never stopped working. And it's it's such a it's such such a tragedy that she died poor because now of course she's a world icon, you know, and her her fame her fame and you know the worth of her her work is way more than Diego's ever was. Yeah, no, I agree. It's fascinating. You think with someone like that, the same goes Sylvia Plath, really. Is that, I mean, you could, would you right. people have loved them so much if they'd lived to old age and right. made lo- millions of pounds right. or dollars off the you world? Imagine if she had gotten to write for 50 more years, you know, what yeah. she would have done with that. And and if, if Frida had, had not been injured, what would her, what would her, but what would her art be without that yeah. injury? You know, it'd be completely no. different. I imagine. Yeah, it would be. Same as like with well, the classic British poet in England, Wilfred Owen, for example. And he wrote, we saw examples of his poetry before he went to the First World War and died there. Mm. I think sometimes the Greek, something horrible's got to change you with your attitude and your work sometimes. But I don't know. I want to ask you about, obviously, a couple of core quick questions to conclude with this. I want to give you some time to read out some of your work today for us as well. Now, obviously, with obviously the mask then. Now, um, there's two, two questions we'll ask with this one, and we'll do them one by one. I know, obviously, with some of the pieces in this book, you do go into, oh, I think it's Spanish in it. Yeah. Certainly now. What made you want to start bringing a bit of Spanish into this collection? Well, um, for one, I feel like to be kind of genuine to to Paolo, who was Mexican, um, I, I needed to have, try to make it sound as authentic as I could. Um, honoring her, you know, her nationality and her ethnicity. She was, um, her father was German. Her mother was a native like Tijuana from near Mexico City. So kind of more an indigenous Mexican culture. And she had to kind of marry those things. So she was like, on one hand, this kind of aristocratic uh, Mm. European beauty in some times. And then also liked being kind of this, this woman of the earth, this native Mexicana, Tijuana. Um, and she wrestled with those identities. So, so much about her life is like this duality, right? So she's kind of this two, two-sided creature. There's her and Diego, you know, there's, it, it's, it's, she's, there's men and women. It's great. You know, it's like, there's so much like that with her. Um, these two sides of a coin that somehow come together and make this art. Mm-hmm. I, um, in back in college, went down to Puebla, Mexico, and I st- spent a semester there. I fell in love with a man named Alejandro, who was her first boyfriend, who was on the trolley with her, um, <laughs> but was only minor injured. And then he left for Europe after that. So she, it was her heart, first heartbreak. Um, my situation was similar. <laughs> my Alejandro left me and at the airport, I went back down to Mexico to like go marry him and he never showed up. You know, it was like the ultimate, oh, poor me gringa left at the, <laughs> left at the hypothetical altar at the airport. Anyway, um, <laughs> so it's another parallel I feel with her. But what was good is I came out of it knowing Spanish and I've, I've worked very, very hard over the last, whatever, 25 years to keep that Spanish. And this, I feel like, was the reason I finally got to use it um, in my poetry for Frida, for something I love doing, and to honor her. So the the self-portrait one, the first one, has a lot more Spanish, and it has translations provided kind of within the poems. This one, I did less Spanish because we didn't want to add the translations. I wanted the the English-speaking reader who knows no Spanish to still be able to stay with me even when I peppered in some Spanish. Um, 
It's an excellent idea because look at you, you've done it. My, my Spanish isn't fantastic, but I managed to work it out what you were right. doing in this. Right. I think that's probably enough something, yeah. So you could you could you're still with me. I didn't completely lose you. You know, you might not know what a word or two means, but you still can be in the context with me. Um, but I just find it, I don't know. First of all, I think the challenge of writing in a bilingual voice like that is awesome. And I love it. And I love like when, you know, weird slant rhymes happen between English words and Spanish words. And, you know, you can play with it and even more so than just with one language. So like, I love that. Um, and I think it makes the book really unique. Oh, it does it a really, really good feel to it. Now, you were also telling us before about the editing process for this with Broken Spine with Alan, weren't you? So, obviously, the wonderful yeah. Alan. Now, obviously, to conclude before we get down to, obviously, typically we get your book from, tell us, obviously, you're quite clearly, you worked quite hard in this book with Broken Spine, which I think is more than some other publishers will do with you. So tell us, tell us a little bit about, little bit about that process. Yeah, yeah, it did. And Alan... Um, bless his heart, was so patient and so supportive. I mean, I really kind of brought him like a working manuscript. And I was like, here's what I have. This is my, my vision. I want to do this one with Frida. He was intrigued because he, he, he had seen, he'd heard me read from the first book when I was in Southport with him in 20, whenever. Um, so I kind of brought half a book, you know, and he's like, okay. And so we, we gave you know, the whole process was quite long. I mean, I think we, I think he originally agreed to work with me like that Christmas before, and it took that whole year to bring it out. Wow. Um, and so I just would, you know, it was like, okay, I got to write some more poems for this. I got to, I had a lot of pressure on myself to write really extraordinary poems and send them to Alan, you know, <laughs> like I was kind of, I was really obsessed and I would send one and he'd be like, lovely, this is great. And I'd be like, no, it's not good enough. And I would do another and another. And finally he'd be like, Ellie, this book is good. Like you're good. You can stop <laughs> But I just, it was like, you know, I'm, I'm a, a real perfectionist and I, and I wanted it for Alan and Broken Spine. I wanted it to be so good, you know, and I wanted it to be so good for Frida too. And I had, I was kind of coming off a, a difficult time like with COVID I wasn't doing so well I wasn't writing a lot I'd been kind of hiding from social media and so it was like this felt like a comeback book for me of like you know and, and I'm like I hope these are I hope these poems are as good as my old poems you know because I'm kind of a different person now you know they've morphed and changed and I think it does I think writing, helps. writing as in the as a nature of all us writers it does you do develop and I think move on as we go along really don't we so it's it's really easy to find self-doubt you know as a poet you you're just like am i still good am i still relevant like am i too, is my brain too damaged to do what i used to do i don't you know and it's like when that gets into your head it's really hard to sort through um no, no it's that so point it's, yeah, point, so. it's, it's really i you know whew. We're, we're so hard on ourselves you know i think um, writers are naturally we are hard yeah, on ourselves right, right. and artists as well obviously i think even harder i know few, i know i know a few professional painters and they're even more rigid than themselves than actual writers are because i know i know one writer i'm not going to name the person i saw them i know they spent six weeks in the painting once and they hated it that much. I went out the went out the top floor of their window in the flat, and they're right. fourteen floors up, and nearly hit something on the street below. Yeah, yeah, That's I why. think it's true. I think you know, as creative people, whether you're visual or you know, a singer, or a poet, 
we're, we're, I think to be really creative, you're also really sensitive. I, yeah, I definitely, um, definitely, because you yeah. have to be able to empathize with other humans to understand yeah. the emotion and the humanity and everything. So it's yeah, like, no, I agree completely. You can't now, just be a, a brick wall, you know, that, that can is stoic. Um, no, I agree. I agree. So, now, Start winding down now, obviously, because I want to, I want to get you give you a chance to read out a few poems for us in the second half. Mm-hmm. And I've been conscious of the time here as well for you as well. Now, yeah. obviously, um, we've obviously hinted up before that you're thinking about possibly a third collection in Frida's voice, if that's the right word. But do you have anything else lined up before that yet in mind at the moment? I do. I have some things in the works. I have a manuscript that's out being considered right now that's a really hopeful yes with them which is about um well it's based on songs by fiona apple um oh my wife my wife would love that amanda yeah. she's she uh, say, i think if i could be wrong on this part from um a massive love of Kiefer sutherland rather i'm not sure that's over to the music or anyway that's a story another day i know yeah. she absolutely worships fiona apple she does <laughs> There's a there's a real niche following for Fiona. Like if people if you like her, you love her, you know. And she was such a poet in her she is such a poet in her lyrics. But so this was an acrostic journey, but with music. And I, I was excited to try that. I think it's really good. So that's hopefully going to show its head at some point, um, maybe in a year or so. And then I actually have a one um, that's with Sarasa's poetry. Um, it's called Blank Space, and it's mm. it's really about kind of my year of 2020 um, with COVID, home with my children, isolated with my children. Um, I'm not sure. I, it's got a lot of good parts to it, but it's not quite found its shape. So, you know, putting manuscripts together is like it's like a puzzle. You know, you oh, it's get difficult, it right. difficult. And it is. And you can just do you find, and obviously, Elizabeth. It. With you obviously writing quite a few books over the years, some books are easier to get into an order than others. Because I've done six, and I think there's only been the last two that have been fairly straightforward in order. Yeah. The first four were nightmares, and what's going to be the seventh, possibly eighth, I've proven absolute nightmare, like like detective novels trying to get the pieces in the right order. Right. That's right, because in the wrong order or the wrong strategy of telling the narrative can make or break it completely you know you can have really good poems lined up but if they're not telling that narrative it's not going to work you know and so i think that's one of the hardest parts of of poetry is if you want to do a chat or a collection is that 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 publication part that making it whole part it's easy to write one or two poems and put them aside but then to actually create that book that works is really something um, and I like to help like my mentees that I work with and stuff with that because like with order, with segues, with pauses, you know, because it's, it's a big, it's all big concepts that if you're not used to doing it or you haven't struggled through it, um, you don't know where to start. <laughs> it can feel really intimidating. Yeah, no, I agree completely. So now to wrap up, obviously, I want to, we want to get time with your poems next, but if people want to get hold of your obviously your books and I'm guessing all the ones we've talked about today are available from all good and evil news agents as the Empire Magazine podcast always says so they could pick them up in all kinds of places can't you then so yeah they're every, I mean I have an Amazon page that has all my books so if you like Amazon you can go to Elizabeth Horan poet or author you'll find my page you can order any of them from, from there 
Um, I'm on Twitter at eHornPoet. Um, I'm on Instagram at eHornPoet. I have a website, eHornPoet.net. So lots of ways to find me. Um, specifically, The Mask, if you would like to support a wonderful indie press, um, go to brokenspinearts.com, I think, right? I think, I think it's up, it. I think it's up, yeah. Let's just double check after you've got me wondering myself that Order second. from them direct, or you can contact me and I'll ship you a book, you know, or I'll get Alan to ship you a book, no big deal. Um, I'm going to be at AWP in about a week. <laughs> Oh, this this is going late. This will be out later on now. <laughs> I can tell you that now. <laughs> it's an American thing, but uh, but we will be there, and we're gonna we have some of our UK people are coming over to hang out with us. Like it's gonna oh, be a real party and a blast. Thank God for great. Sounds you know, a great time, but definitely sounds brilliant to me. Right, we'll wrap bye. up part one then for you. Let's let's both take a quick break. Uh, we should be back everybody in two minutes time when I'm gonna, we're going to negotiate now how many pieces Elizabeth's going to do for us as poems now so okay. <laughs> we've got Very good. we've got plenty to choose from see you all in a minute guys it's been a pleasure to be grateful today Spoken Label Hi guys yep and the end Spoken Label still here with the wonderful Elizabeth Horan okay to you okay over to you now Elizabeth and you're going to do so people know you're going to do one poem from your first book look at that look at that just to, just to the right. Then we're going to go into self-portrait. I think you're doing two short poems from that one, aren't you? Then we're going to finish up with a few poems from the mask. That's right. Over to you. I'm very excited to read to you all. This is the funnest part, right? So yes, so this is um, me and Plath. So it's two poems because the first one I share my poem with Plath and then she responds to me with her own words. Okay, here we go. A son is born, the second. My son cannot remember the day he came to lose his mother. My son only knows I was sad before and that now I'm feeling better. I alone know the secret, the date of the day he lost me and I'll tell you since I trust you. It was the day my second was born, came out shrieking, wolves after me, the sinner, a lion roaring in the night, a mauled honey badger. Ah yes, he was lifted right out of the smiling incision and laid skin to skin on my breast. And I remember thinking he looked odd, like a football player helmeted with hair, laying on the nurse's table, red and writhing, a salamander underfoot. And then I remember my firstborn pointed at him and said, out. Plath says, Scrubbing Dishes, the title. Ha ha, child, this is all you've got. My nights are filled with, with sunken ships, filled with fetuses born of this witch. Little spines, crooked, broken, fingers, toes only count to seven and curled, hideous, veins outside of transparent skin, a heart beats black, the lungs puff, sooted. My daddy takes me from behind, sings Edelweiss and baby mine, lines a gun up between my eyes. Dr. Mengele fingers the trigger, but I don't die, not even close. Rather, I sing to showers full of ghosts, women with rashes and pubic lice, men swinging low, ashamed, pissing scars of sacredness, trains of cows full of meat to market, whoosh by in a clickety-clack, the waving faces of Wiesel and Naimoller and Miloche, inside carcasses, dear God, racks over racks of children, my mind inside out, Ted, 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 dead, gone, ripped front to back, dick to head, me, Blue nighty, rooftop flyer. God says, go ahead, Sylvia. Go ahead and be a martyr. Oh, God, that second one's powerful. God. First one, obviously, like, 
first one is you, you definitely tell it's you. I've, but I'm no Sylvia S. Plath expert, but definitely I've got friends who I, I know that are, and I think they would really like that. That was really Thank good. You. That was excellent. The tone, stuff, the tone shifts a bit, doesn't it, when it goes to her voice? Yeah, you can definitely see it's not just you that when you've changed, the tone is different. So, oh, excellent stuff. Right. Right. Really, really powerful. But it, but it, I wanted to show you kind of like I come at her with this little poem about poor me, you know, and she comes back with this raging, you know, yeah. saga wow. that hurts so bad. Wow. Excellent. Okay. On to self-portrait now, I believe, aren't right. we? So here's this. And as we discussed a little bit before, you know, this one really begins with her accident. So this, this horrific bus, uh, bus and trolley crashed in Mexico City and she was impaled through her pelvis by a steel pole. You know, it was a, a, a nightmare. Um, she is from the suburb called Coyacan, right outside Mexico City, which I've actually been to and I long to go back. But so this poem is called Coyacan from 1925, which is when she painted this piece. No one knows the breaking as I know the breaking of glass. It is the shards which get at you, you know. Not so much the steel rods or the splintered wood, those do horrible things to human tissue. But the shards, the shards have a way. They get into the insides, into veins, in capillaries, under toenails, the mucous membranes, the eyelids might be the worst thing they do. The nurses come and I tell them, I say, ayúdame, no puedo ver ni la luz de la ciudad, ni la de la vida. They say, no hay nada más allá adentro, Frida. There is no more glass in your eye. There is nothing, nothing in there, querida. Life begins tomorrow, people like to say, because they will have children and they are not yet deceased. They have no shards of glass in their eyes, nor the steel metal rod implanted like a crude IUD in my uterus. Tremendous, absolute tremendous. That again, it was it really felt like it was a different person you were in the voice of there. And that's, I think, that's really good writing actually. That to be able to move along from like your own voice to a, literally just shown three different voices, should react some few short pieces there. Brilliant, yeah. Might I do one more from, from this one? There's just I'd love you to. We've got time, okay. we've got time, okay. okay. So, this one's called Pensando in Diego, thinking about Diego. Um. The painting, this painting she worked on from 1940 to 1943. And in both of these books, I should just mention, mention there's a guide at the back. So like each poem, you can go look up the painting and be able to see the painting as you read my poems that you have. We weren't able to put the paintings in the book because of course, copyright, but it's available for you to go Google them all. Okay, Pensando en Diego, entonces. Climbing the pyramid in Teotihuacan, you tell me you love me as a man falls 10 steps, his arm badly broken, hikes the rest of the way back down the steep stairs with his son who is crying. We shrug and make out tongue-tied babies, 19-year-old playmates measuring the world in hotels and dancing. Later at El Museo de Arcológico, me dices, quiero subirte en la cripta y hacerte el amor. I want to hide you in the crypt and make love to you. It's the best thing I've ever heard. Make love as only a Mexican can, selfish, incessant, with lips to die for. I paint you upon my eyebrow so you will remember me. Un tatuaje de la vida que tuvimos antes hace tiempo. And there goes the man with his boy, full arm cast in white. They are looking at artifacts from the time of Quetzalcoatl. 
and you and I smile at each other and kiss. We kiss till it feels like a strangle. Wow, that's got real sort of. It's almost like it's very musical. That one is the musical but set without the song in it. Does that make sense? Yeah, good. I'm so yeah. glad you found that. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I could definitely see a yeah, brilliant stuff in data. Okay, well, now we're going to move on now to obviously what we should have been talking about all along, right. really. Let's a couple of, pe- couple of pieces of the math to finish off with today. Right. Um, I'll start with the mask, volume one. Okay. <laughs> I started it with a song quotation from Marco Antonio Solis, which is, Si no te hubieras ido, sería tan feliz, which means if you had never left, I would be so happy. That feeling when life is ending, when you know it's time to go, when your eyes have gone yellow, cut holes in the retinas and turn them to blue. Oh, that house. I've told Ellie to make a new stanza here to describe how I have died in that flowering house, the way in which women have flowered in that house. At 18, I was punctured in the way a sword enters the bull and yet I did not die. Neither did I die when you fucked my sister, querido mio. See how I will never succumb to anything but my own body. I wear this because I feel ugly. I wear ribbons to cut the blood flow, to incite the beauty. My dog still loves me. The punctures remain. My monkey adores me and I owe so much money. Make a new stanza here, please, Ellie. Make them into cold rooms, lock the doors. Let's let's hide inside the liquor and pain. Hacemos algo, amor a la mexicana. When Alejandro left you deformed, and now me too deformed. Diego, if you love me, come and make love to me one more time. In heaven, por favor, come and fuck me in my mind. Wow. So, uh, that's got the musical feeling in the first piece, but there's more... I think there's a sadness behind that one that it's like it's almost like a pleading, isn't there? So really, really beautiful stuff. Really beautiful stuff. I think in um, sad as well. In self-portrait, there's a, a lot more anger. You know, there's kind of this defiant anger with Diego and you know at the world. And this one is is a, a more of kind of this acceptance um, of what's happened to her and her life, and that it is going to end. And there's more of a, a solemn acceptance if you will but yeah no definitely the same. Diego especially but <laughs> I'd expect little else from what I know of here Frida okay I think you could we do we do one more we need to conclude with from the mask. yeah I'd love to do um I'd love to do this is called four inhabitants of Mexico City we have no toes my nurse and I beautiful ripe breasts juxtapose the lack of a mother the masculine square shoulder the shadow spreads across me. Oye, Judas, puedes darme un poco de espacio? Just because Diego likes you near, sick bastard, thinks it's so odd and funny, whispers in my ear, ha ha ha, mira mi reina, fíjate mi vida, the men are all here, commanders of the Zocalo, las mujeres, but figments of the past, meek figurines of future abandonment. To have had a child, to have kept my toes intact, my uterus intact, I would have had to praise the easel of a man. Lied to Jesus at least 30 times, estuviera sido traidora a la Xochiquetzal. And I would not do this to Hamas, to her. The woman who fed me from her breasts and who removed with knives her own toes as an act of feminine solidarity in 1934. 
it's just not fair for children to suffer such horrible nightmares, to play with the dust and rocks and sell gum while the sovereign masculine gods don't lift a child from the earth to soothe her. The female has been rendered useless, displayed, al medio de este socolo integro, amputated, inert, punctured, flaccid, uterus. Wow. That's what brought me to tears, that one. <laughs> wow. Good grief. <laughs> Extraordinary. Now, really, really powerful stuff, Elizabeth, that. So it's... Like, do you look back, obviously, I'm going to ask you a question to finish off with here, this one. Do you look back and you look at these pieces thinking sometimes, my God, have I wrote that? <laughs> <laughs> I think you do, like, I think as poets sometimes, I know I do, sometimes look, yeah. you look at yourself like, and then you think of the imposter syndrome, don't you? Oh, and yeah. I think, yeah, I do some work sometimes. Oh, that was incredible. Absolutely yeah, incredible. Yeah, I, um, I feel really proud of the poems I've done. You know, like, I don't take it for granted that I'm, like, amazing i i worked my ass off for no, it shows now. it really shows when you work there and, today. Uh, that's why I tried to, you know i tried to do do her and do frida and plath the honors that i took it that seriously you know because yeah. you look like a real jerk if you kind of half-ass these and you know oh i wrote about sylvia you know no if you're going to take that on and write in her voice you know you've got you've got to you've got to know what you're talking about because Otherwise, you'll make yourself look an absolute yeah, good English you look, word. You look, yeah, you, your hubristic pride won't serve you here. So, I don't know. I feel grateful to them, to these these women. And, and Dickinson is another one I've done a book on in her. Um, <laughs> Brilliant stuff. I like as well. But so, yeah, I, yes, yeah, sometimes I look back on poems. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm like, wow, I was really depressed or wow, I can't believe I published that. Things like that. <laughs> um, or is. I often will think like, I hope I can do something like that again. You yeah, know, you no, I know that works. No, definitely. So, OK, yeah. uh, we're running out of time now. So we'll wrap up this bit. I want to chat to you off microphone anyway. So, but Elizabeth, it's been a pleasure today. Keep in touch. Whenever your next collection's out, you're welcome, always welcome back in here again if you want to come Thank on. You, it's been a, been a pleasure today. It's okay, been yeah. here. Thank you. Okay, guys and girls. Well, to quote the immortal Don Callis, formerly of Impact Wrestling, this is the saying I always use now, Elizabeth, to finish with the podcast. He, he always used the saying as stay safe and stay over. And as I always say, we'll see you next time. Take care. Spoken, mate.